Hey everyone, Ed Helms here. You might know me as Andy from The Office or Stu from The Hangover, or you might know me as the co-founder of BGS. I know, I'm just as surprised as you. They let me co-found something. But here's the thing, we're doing it again. Yeah, this time we're leaping into our other deep love, the vast and vibrant world of country music with something we're calling Good Country. Now this isn't just another newsletter. Think of Good Country as a place. A place where you can explore, learn, and dig into all of what makes country good. Seriously, country music has so much going on these days, and it's coming from so many different deep and soulful places, and we're here to cover all of it. Just as we've done for Bluegrass and Roots Music at BGS for over a decade. So sign up now at goodcountrybgs.substack.com and let us bring you the many sides of country music straight to your inbox. Good country. It's a nice place to be. Hey, it's Cindy Howes from the podcast Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Check out our very special 250th episode featuring an interview and performance with Basic Folk co-host Lizzie No. I feel like most women I know have an experience where They've been working and working and working to perform and to execute and to please everyone else. And then things sort of fall apart a little bit in some way or another. And partying can actually be a really important step towards getting free because it shows you where you need to fall apart and being on the dance floor, like in community with mm. other women and mm -hmm. in community with queer people. Mm -hmm. Like for me, those experiences have been so important. This time, Lizzie is on the other side of the mic talking about and performing songs from their brand new album, Half Seas. Basic Folk's 250th episode with Lizzie No is streaming now on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Join us there or wherever you get podcasts. Hi, and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. It's me, Cindy Howes. I host this podcast. Thanks for finding us. We're talking to Alice Howe today on the pod. Uh, before we get into it, we would love it if you would sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can do that at our website, basicfolk.com, and click on the red newsletter link button. You can also follow us on social media at Basic Folk Pod. We're a listener-supported podcast. If you'd like to make a financial contribution, we would love that too. You can go to our website, basicfolk.com. If you click on shop, you can get a Basic Folk beanie, which is a handmade knitted beanie that uh, are made by my mom. And they have a cute little Basic Folk tag available on there. And they are $5 a month. And it goes right back into producing this lovely folk pod. Okay, let's talk about Alice Howe, tracking with her brand, an old soul inside a 30-something millennial. Alice Howe's latest album was recorded at Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Although the legendary studio has seen massive icons like Aretha Franklin, Wilson Pickett, and Etta James recording their biggest hits, the building itself is quite unremarkable. Regardless, Alice was able to soak up the incredible vibe that ugly wood-paneled space offers over the course of the recording sessions, which were done in two parts. 
Freebo, her frequent collaborator and bassist, helmed the production and joined us for this interview. The two gave some insight into the way they communicate and how that works itself out in a studio setting. We dig into some of the new songs on the record circumstance, including What About You, which comes along with a music video featuring some very playful sides of Alice, including some very femme scenes of her at the pool and on the beach. We got into an interesting discussion of different ways women portray themselves in music using Bonnie Raitt and Linda Ronstadt prototypes as examples. Not sure if we reached a consensus, but I enjoyed getting into it. We also get into how Freebo is a goofball and a cool guy scholar and how those traits translate into his and into Alice's music. And we leave some space for Alice and Freebo to fawn all over Freebo's former collaborator, Bonnie Raitt, and her recent Song of the Year award at the 2023 Grammys. It's always so fun to talk to Alice, who is also on episode 72 of Basic Folk, and we have a doubly good time with Freebo. Hope you enjoy this conversation. We're going to listen to clips from her new record throughout the interview, so please sit back and relax and enjoy Alice Howe and Freebo on Basic Folk. Alice Howe and Freebo, what a treat. Thank you so much for doing this and being on Basic Folk. Great to be here. So happy to be here again, Cindy. Congratulations on the new record. I have a lot of questions about the album. Alice, in your bio, you are called an old soul inside a 30-something millennial. Can we start off by hearing about how you relate to that description? Like, how do you feel like an old soul? And then also, how do you feel like a young person? (laughs) It's a good place to start. Um, I think it really goes back to, first of all, my musical taste and just the music that I was raised on. And I think that my parents' vinyl collection had a huge influence on me and just growing up with that kind of sensibility of 60s, 70s music, singer-songwriters, folk, rock, blues, um, all that stuff had a huge impact on just my musical consciousness and who I am. And in comparison to many of my peers, my taste seems to tend kind of older. And so I almost make light of it. I actually, um, I saw a TikTok trend recently that was all about whether or not people had been quote, born in the right generation. And I do kind of joke that maybe I wasn't born in the right generation. But then, as Freebo and I just have discussed, like, you know, that's this my opportunity to kind of bring my sensibility and just my authentic self and what I love and the music that I create to bring that into my generation. And, and so maybe it's not about being born in the wrong time, but just kind of making the time what what I want it to be. Freebo, same question. How do you feel like an old soul and how do you feel like a young person? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well, uh, I think I am an old soul, just spiritually speaking, uh, and I'm a relatively old guy. And uh, and you know, I was around in the in the '60s and the '70s and uh, and the '50s, and it 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 very much influenced me on, on so many levels, socially, uh, politically, certainly musically. And it, it's very interesting for me to bring that history and that sensibility to this project with Alice, who obviously has the old soul, likes the old music, but is young and didn't have an opportunity to be around in that generation 
to where it can almost bring it back for her. And in in a strange kind of way, I kind of legitimize that. And I, I know it well. I mean, it, it is my genre. So um, I feel like that's where we first connected, actually. Yeah. Is really through. And a lot of people ask us, like, wow, you guys, um, you know, you come from such different generations. How do you. How do you get along? How do you kind of find that common ground? And really, always we've had the music, and we share just a, a common interest in in what I consider to be kind of a timeless sound. And so that's always been just a, a touchstone for us, and something that we've communed over. And a mutual respect, because obviously she respects mm-hmm. me for having been a part of that time, and and I'm proud of my legacy. It's really nice to listen to. Uh, a record that you played on 50 years ago and and it still sounds good and you're not the only one think it sounds good other people (laughs) think it sounds good so and it's it's so cool because it's kind of like i get to time travel through this relationship that we have in you know through music and i love hearing freebo's stories of you know back in the day and it kind of makes me feel like i was there in a way because i know the stories really well at this point we've spent a lot of time on the road together i've i could probably ghost write freebo's book at this point i've heard a lot of the stories and you know just it's it's <laughs> great Ooh, i hope I you do like, yeah i mean freebo is definitely going to write a book that's 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 coming well, and also, Cindy, it makes me feel feel good to be able to, in a way, to circle back. I don't say you really you really circle. It's more like a spiral. You don't go around the same way. When you go around, mm-hmm. you come back a level higher. It just goes up and up and up. And as far as that spiral goes, here it is 40, 50 years later. Uh, I'm working with, excuse me, another redhead. But uh, I have an opportunity to redo what I did with Bonnie with Alice, who mm-hmm. is also a one-in-a-billion voice. And I think that's the way it works with God-given instruments of a voice. It, it is what it is. What you do with it is something else, but the voice is is genetic. And Alice has that, uh, mm-hmm. as, as Bonnie did. So for me to be able to bring that sensibility and that experience back to Alice and for us to have mutual respect for each other, because I respect her, as much as she respects me. And I think that respect is, is really, really key at what's going on and the fact that we both like this kind of music so we can both approach it in a new kind of a way. It's brand new for her, but it's new for me further up the spiral. The new album, Circumstance, is out now. It was recorded at Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, which has so much storied history. I am obsessed with Rick Hall, the founder of Fame Studios. Uh, mm. If anyone has not seen the documentary on Rick Hall, I think it's on Hulu the last I checked, but it's mm. so good. Alice said, there's so much history there, and I did feel like there was a certain amount of pressure to deliver and be a singer. People like Aretha Franklin, Etta James, Otis Redding, a million other people have recorded there. The question I have is, so there's this building with all this history, you're surrounded by autographs from all these greats and all their pictures on the wall the building itself is like from pictures i have never been there it doesn't seem very remarkable it's like (laughs) 1950s wood paneling Uh vibes there's like a road in pittsburgh that called 51 where they have all of buildings that look like fame and it kind of like makes me want to throw up a little bit it's just like kind of an ugly (laughs) building (laughs) 
So for you guys, like how palpable is the history versus what the actual space is like? Hmm. Well, let, let me go first because the fact that the building is exactly the same, that it hasn't been upgraded, <laughs> that's not only the charm of it, and it takes you back in terms of looking at it and exactly what that documentary does, but also the sound and the whole way it was done. So for us to go in there, it takes us back to that time. For me, as as a producer and as a player, uh, I'm channeling all of the wonderful musicianship that's gone on there because it wasn't just about the artists who came in, Aretha and Etta and Wilson Pickett. Uh, it was very much about the players, and that's what the documentary is about, the, uh, the rhythm section that really made this, this music happen. So for me, to be there as a bass player, I'm channeling David Hood, and I'm channeling all these great players. I'm channeling the great producers who work through there. I'm feeling the music in the walls because I, I do that. I've played in so many places. I've put a lot of music into those walls as have everybody else who's played there. So you feel that, and it's palpable. Yeah, it's from the road. It's kind of this unremarkable little building, and um, it, it's really about what was created inside that is so special. And I think you have this sense, maybe just from everything you've heard and what you know about the place, that it's special. It's kind of like visiting a, a holy site for so many of us musicians who have heard the stories and, you know, watched the documentary and listened to the music um, to finally go there and, and see, you know, the master tapes of Mustang Sally, you know, on the shelf in, in the back office is just such an amazing thing. And I mean, I kind of love the charming ugliness of it. Like I looked up at the ceiling a million times at these like old gel um, lights. There's like pink and blue and yellow lights on the ceiling that are just so tacky. And like every time I would touch the walls um, in the vocal booth, I'd have to be careful because they they were splintering like cedar <laughs> cedar panels that were splintering, and I would like be afraid to get a, a you know a splinter. So it's. Um, there's nothing like so glamorous about it. And yet it's so, so special. And it just, I think partly because it's so humble, it's such a humble place. And that whole part of the country is really, it's that way. It's down home. It's not like going to a glamorous studio in LA. And I feel like that's part of the charm and the beauty of it is that everybody kind of figured out all these amazing artists, like bit by bit through what they heard, of, of recordings and through stories, they heard, wow, Muscle Shoals is really special. And that's the same thing that happened to us. Like we followed this kind of storied um, tale of what this place was. It's like this magic that you follow there. And it, it definitely delivered for us. Freebo produced and arranged the new record. And I really like the way that you two communicate with each other on stage and also in real life. Just so everyone knows, Alice and Freebo have hung out. We've hung out together, like, socially. So there's this, like, fun. We're friends. We're friends. Um, yeah. But the way that you talk, it's like, I don't know. There are certain people that when they talk to each other, I'm just kind of, like, blown away. Like, your conversations are deep, but they're playful. Freebo does this thing where it's, like, hard for me to put a finger on exactly what he does, but he just, like, tells you exactly who you are, like – and it just kind of like blows me away. <laughs> How do I do that? <laughs> I don't know. 
You might not even know. I don't. How do you reflect on your communication with each other and how does that work in a studio setting? Yeah, I think from the beginning, we always had this really beautiful ability to to talk about anything. Like we first met at Folk Alliance and didn't know each other at all. Um, you know, I had no context even really for who Freebo was until I went home and looked at my mom's Bonnie Raitt records and saw him on the back. And then I kind of figured out, I put it all together like, oh my gosh, that's who I just met this weekend. But we got into talking about music, about production, about song choices, about, you know, all kinds of stuff, life. It really just the, the whole spectrum of, of experience right from the beginning. And I think that's actually what made me want to work with you because, I've always put relationships first in terms of just like that personal connection. When I'm choosing somebody that I want to work with, the personal is is so, so important. So I think that has definitely carried over into our work in the studio and on the road. Like we can be really honest with each other. Like the fact that I, if I don't like something, I don't have to be shy about it. And if I love something, I can be really emphatic about it too. And I love that I have that freedom to, to do that. I don't have to say, oh, I'm going to hurt Freebo's feelings if I don't like something about a, you know, a recording choice or production choice. Like there's total freedom, you know, for us to each be honest. And I think that leads to some really beautiful um, creativity. Yeah. I I think Cindy, it, it comes down to communication. I think we're both communicators that that's really what art is about is, is communicating, communicating feelings and, uh, perspective on life, and and both Alice and I, I think, are that way in general. Uh, I, I, I'd like to say that we both <laughs> have the ability to to be superficial and talk small talk, but we can also go deep, and I think we notice that right away uh, in in our relationship, in in having met each other, and in our communication, and that just uh, naturally, you know, led to the musical communication. And again, to the to the mutual respect, you know, and respect happens after a while, you know, you it, it, it develops, but it has. So I would just say that there's there's some sort of a deep connection. Maybe that goes back to your original question about old souls. <laughs> Who knows? Mm, we, we came from the other. first. Uh, we came on the same spaceship. Actually, same spaceship. Just the, left at different <laughs> times. She yeah. She she missed the one I was on, and she caught the one 15 minutes later, which wound up being quite a few years later. <laughs> uh, uh, in the promo video for the record, Alice, you were talking about the week that you got to record at Fame, and you said, "I'm such a people person," and I l- totally was like, "Yes, you are. Like, you love hanging out." Um, and it must have been so fun, and you must have been so delightful that week. All the players got together in one place to make the record. Where do you think that drive to be around others and be a people person comes from for you? <laughs> oh, I love your question, Cindy. Um, <laughs> you know, I was the youngest by a lot in my family. Uh, my brother's almost nine years older than me, and I had a lot of cousins who were older. And I feel like I was always the little girl that, well, as also a singer from a young age, um, I feel like I was always entertaining people um, from a young age and and really enjoying it. Like I I liked to be in, you know, theater productions and to share my songs. And I was not shy ever. I would never have called myself a shy child. So I think that 
I just, I, I guess I'm just an extrovert. You know, I gain energy from being with people. Of course, I have to recharge as well as we all do, but I do really find joy in just being able to riff and, and, and make jokes and have humor and, and light, you know, just friendly interactions with the people that I'm working with. And that, that was such a treat for me um, at Fame and for that week in Muscle Shoals to rent the house on Airbnb. That was my dream. I was like, I want to have a big house. I want the band to come <laughs> stay. I want it to be like what I was picturing. And it was exactly that. Like I had the videographer, I had um, Jeff Fielder who played on the record come out from Seattle. We had our friend Brian Boozer um, come work as assistant engineer. He came out from Bakersfield. So it was really like, felt like a party there all week. And it was just so special. It was, it was like a vacation and a working week and everything that I hoped it would be. Mm. Yeah. You kind of create a, a small family when you do this, I mean, it makes me think back to Bonnie's first and second record, the first record in uh, Minneapolis, where she rented uh, a summer camp. And that's where we recorded the record. And everybody was there and staying there together, including Buddy Guy and Junior Wells and A.C. Reed coming in at one point. Uh, and then that the second so record. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And then the second record in Woodstock. And I'm just thinking, and I'm looking at the pictures of those records, thinking of them, then the pictures of Alice's first record, Visions, and this one of the band and the studio. And it is a family. It's you create this small family for a short amount of time. And it's very tight and it's very intimate. And somehow Alice picked up on that. And with it renting that house and us being there and Jeff Fielder coming in from Seattle and some of the Muscle Shoals guys and, and the, the videographer coming in from Nashville, uh, that's exactly what was what was created for that week. So Yeah, it's kind of like special. the opposite of the like COVID era recording process where you um, you know, you record a track in your bedroom or in a local studio and you send it to somebody and they right. add to it and they send it to somebody. And that works, too. And I've heard some absolutely beautiful records that were mm -hmm. recorded that way. But I just maybe after everything that we had all gone through those two years of isolation, it was even more important to me to return there in person and kind of do it in that old school way, like maybe that's, that's m my sensibility again, just like really wanting there to be an immediacy to the experience of making the record and to have that true, like we are in the room together and these moments of interplay that you hear on the album all happened in real time. And, and that's so, so special to me. Like I wouldn't trade that for anything. Cause when I listen to those tracks, I know like, Oh yeah, that's when that person did that thing. And mm -hmm. it, and it made me do this thing with my voice and it made Freebo do this thing. And it all just mm -hmm. perfectly fit together. And I think, you know, you don't have to spend the week together at summer camp for that to happen. But if, if you can, <laughs> there's something really beautiful about it. That. It helps. It's very synergistic. And again, it reminds me what Alice just said about old school there's something, the difference between old school and new school, so to speak. Uh, old school uh, is, is, is analog and new school is digital. Yes, we do some digital stuff, but digital kind of goes into texting and everything is faster. And it's a whole different time now. Old school is, is, is I think, a more, a more deep and intimate communication. And that's where the, the synergy comes in and where somebody plays a part and it makes you think of something else. So you wind up playing something you wouldn't have played, as in a real conversation, like what we're having now, mm -hmm. how one thought leads to another. Yeah. 
Uh, and, and, Which and, makes me think also, of, just with your question earlier, like how are you a young person and how are you an old soul? And I think something that I really just struggle with in this this age that we are in is like the constant pressure to be like creating short form content all the time. I find it pretty oppressive and kind of antithetical to just feeling creative and being able to slow down and get into the music and get into the art and the creativity and what I really love. And so this was like, this was sort of my, the opposite of that, I guess, in a way it was taking the time. It was just slowing down and doing it, you know, really Mm. methodically the way that that was felt true to me mm-hmm. to do it so yeah exactly all right let's get into um some of these songs on the album circumstance i've got some questions all right i'm ready you told me you're seeing somebody i was stunned into silence with no right to be nobody seemed too surprised i should have known that the joke was on me The song Somebody's New Lover Now explores the conflicting feelings of jealousy, disbelief, sadness, and relief to learn that a former partner has moved on. So this was a relationship that you ended. Mm -hmm. And I am listening to the song and reading through the lyrics, and the lyrics are not very kind to you, to yourself. (laughs) To me. (laughs) Yeah, there are lines like, you must think you're better off, you won't have to be dragged by my chain anymore, etc. Just kind of like made my heart hurt a little bit reading that and thinking about that. But where do you see like blame and guilt here? And how does naming it through this song help it lift? Mm. That's that's really beautiful interpretation. And, um, and thank you for picking up on that. I think this record was, it's an untraditional breakup record in the sense that I am processing like the loss of the relationship, but it's also like this feeling of guilt that like I failed because the relationship failed and that it's my fault because I moved on and I kind of outgrew that, that era of my life. And I'm sure a lot of people have experienced that it's, it's a little bit of a different angle. Usually it's like, woe is me. It ended, but there's also this element of like, what, what did I do wrong? You know, where's my fault here? And then Mm. eventually kind of almost like claiming the guilt and just being like, you know what? It like it is on me, but that's okay because this is my truth. And I think that's, that's where the lift comes in. It's like, I almost wrote that line with like a little bit of a smile um, and like a wink at myself in like this sadness, but just like this knowing, like this deep knowing that I had to do this for me. And that doesn't make it any less sad, but at least it, it leaves you with this feeling that you just, you did what you had to do. And here you are on the other side of it. And, you know, I got some great songs out of the experience, but it it's, yeah. It, I didn't write it as much with like this brokenheartedness as as much as like just this knowing like self self knowledge is really what this record is about is like learning um, what it is that that I needed that we all need to kind of fulfill um, you know who we are who we truly are. All right, this question is for Freebo. The song "Love Has No Rules" features uh, some catchy guitar hooks. It has a great and cool 80s-inspired groove, but I can still hear the Freebo influence, which is playful and funny. It's subtle, but it's in there. 
Freebo, you are a scholar, but you're also a goofball. <laughs> As a producer and musician, how do you balance those styles and sides of yourself? Uh, well, thank you. It's, I, I, I take that as a compliment, Cindy. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I mean, uh, life is all sorts of shades of gray. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's a combination. I think, it, it, you know, that there are serious things in life and there are comical things in life. And, and I, I think part of our development is learning to appreciate all of those and to, and to broaden ourselves to, uh, to be part of that. And humor is, is really an important part of that. It, it extends all the way to uh, the joy in the studio of creating an atmosphere where you can goof around, where, where things are light, where you keep it light so everybody's having fun, but at the same time where you get specific about, okay, let's get down to work and here's what we need to do. So a lot of that is, is in the communication. Uh, musically, uh, on that song, I mean, the way, the way Alice wrote the song initially was in a very, very serious, uh, it was in 3-4 time. <laughs> And it was it was kind of based off a, a progression that, in a way, if I may, that I kind of turned her on to with the partial capo. <laughs> she took it and she ran with it, and she came up with this really cool thing and a great melody and amazing lyrics, just about basically saying, hey, don't tell me what to do. Love has no rules. I am who I am. Don't tell me I should do this. I should do that. You know, lay off it. That's kind of where it came <laughs> from, Right. Uh, lyrically, uh, and so when when she had played the song for me originally, I thought, God, that's great. But first of all, it needs to go somewhere else. It needs a bridge. It needs it needs to say something lyrically in terms of you know I, I am who I am. I got to do what I got to do, uh, and and musically it need to go to another place. I thought, and so Alice accepted that. And then one day when we were sitting around during COVID. Uh, to play the song, uh, I just, instead of playing a 3-4, I was playing my guitar, I came up with a whole different kind of groove, quite by accident, you know, I was just, it just came through me, and Alice said, what are you doing? And I said, I was like, you're doing it wrong, Freebo. And I said, well, I'm not doing it the way we did it, but but there's something feels good Stop about this. Stop messing this up, Freebo. Yeah, Freebo, it, it, it was perfect, it was sad, it was dark, it was great. Why are you making it? Well, it's so I. I was the groove master. So, so I I did that, and once I started doing that, kick, 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 I just started thinking police, you know, and then I went diggity don't did it, kind of what Andy Summers would do, you know, on on guitar, and that took us into this whole different kind of groove. And, and the funny thing is, now we go back from time to time, and Alice plays with just the two of us acoustically plays the old three four version and it's powerful mm -hmm. and it 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 makes you think of the lyrics a little differently. Mm -hmm. The yeah. lyrics mm -hmm. are very that's powerful. Cool. They are what they are, but that's mm -hmm. the beautiful thing about music in a song. The music gives the lyrics an emotional cushion that really just augments what the lyrics are saying. That's why songs to me are such a powerful communication. Mm -hmm. The lyrics are the words, it's the language, you know what they are, but you put music to it, it takes you to a whole different place. You can run, you can hide, but you can't live your life in disguise. You can call me a happy Oh
The next song that I want to talk about is What About You? So the music video is really fun. Alice is at the pool. Alice is at the beach. <laughs> Alice is in the sun. Alice is in a car. And this video makes me wonder about the use of like your physical appearance living alongside your music and the opinion of how an artist used their looks. Bonnie Raitt and Linda Ronstadt are two names that come up when talking about Alice Howe. Um, two very different presenting women. Like, you've never seen Bonnie Raitt's cleavage or her midriff, unlike <laughs> Linda Ronstadt. <laughs> and both are totally fine, by mm. the way. Like, no judgment mm. on mm. on either way or anything in between or in anything outside of that. But how do you feel about how each of these women presented themselves to the public or female presentation in general? And how do you figure out how to present yourself? Like, what what's that decision like? Mm. That's a great question. I, I do think both of those women were young in a very different time. So I think that the societal kind of expectations and what women were expected or allowed to do or what kind of boundaries could be pushed is pretty different in 2023. But um, I do think But Bonnie Raitt did none of that. Right. Right. But she played the slide guitar. So that's like a whole other sex appeal thing. I think there's, there's almost like, at different different levels, there's like the, there's showing skin, but there's also like how you just your your physical presence on stage. Like, I think Bonnie had so much sexiness and allure just because of how she stood and and like moved and how she played guitar and how she sang and like, you know, you don't have to have cleavage, I think, to be really sexy, if that's what we're talking about. But I think for me, that video was definitely like the most fun I've had with just showing different sides of myself. Like I'm in a bathtub, like in a bubble bath. I've never done something like that (laughs) in a video or photos or anything like that before. Um, And that's definitely like you know, not, I, I would say I tend toward being more modest. It's funny because in the other video that you have out there, somebody's new lover now, like you're wearing like a t-shirt. Right. You know, like a Muscle Shoals t-shirt and jeans. It's true that the What About You was like, um, it was something that I was important to me with that song was to kind of get a little more open and playful and just like have fun with this fun song. The song called for it. Oh yeah, the lyric is, you know, I mean, hey, how about, you know, hey, I'm looking for a soul connection. Hey, how about we listen to old records on a Sunday afternoon? Hey, how about we watch it? But uh, I don't know who you are, but if you're the right person, hey, I'm I'm open to this relationship. So there's there's definitely an appeal to that. So there's something that's kind of sexy in it. It's like, hey, I I, I want to get down. How about you? Are you the right person? And so I, I think the video very much goes with the words. I would also say, in terms of Bonnie and Linda, uh, no, there was it wasn't a cleavage or a midriff, but but Linda had her shorts and her roller skates, and Linda was very sexy. Uh, Bonnie, I was really about accentuating the positive. 
Bonnie, uh, especially beginning, had these boots and 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 tight pants, and she looked very sexy in them. She knew she uh, she had to smile with the dimples. Uh, her songs were very very sexy. I mean, if well, I it's may, the blues, bo- bo- I bo- mean. Bo- Bonnie Bonnie oozed sex. <laughs> she did uh, in, in, in a way. And, uh, Lin- Linda was more about just a smile and just the cutesiness. Uh, Bonnie, uh, Bonnie strutted her stuff in, in her own way. So uh, she did what she, the best she could with what she had. And, 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 uh, and I think that's kind of what, you know, Alice is doing. Alice is, is true. You never, you hadn't gotten into this before. In fact, when I met Alice, stop! Don't even. <laughs> no, oh my God! When I met Alice, no. in, in her folks' day, she was wearing stop, a, a, a dr- dress with a really high waist. I kind of said, "Is is is are you sure that's what you okay. want to do?" Okay, Freebo also functions as my personal stylist, um, and vice versa. So he. Oh wow! No, he he definitely like has a great eye. I would say you you have a really good eye, Freebo, and he was like, "Alice, I don't know those dresses. They kind of it's mm-hmm. almost." almost like I had to make this transition from like folk singer Alice. To Wait, can we get a, more of a description singer. of the dress? Because I didn't oh, yeah. understand. Because a dress is one piece, so the waist okay. can't be that high. Well, this was a pretty high waist. No, yeah, she, <laughs> she wasn't that. Okay, it was just like a nice like sundress. It was just picture just a, a nice sundress, you know, maybe an empire waist. Just um, oh. maybe not empire waist, maybe somewhere in between. I don't know what that means. I know, you but... don't, yeah. Well, was it a fit and flare? I'm not even sure. Let, let's just say it wasn't particularly physically flattering. Okay, it's just <laughs> to you. you know. oh, okay, but maybe couldn't have been an empire waist. That's those are flattering. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. The point is, it was <laughs> it was a different look. Different look for sure, and it was a very folky look. It was like uh, just an earlier, earlier iteration version. of my stage persona, and I think yeah. that. The stage persona has to kind of settle into what's true to the person. And like, that's, yeah. that's actually like kind of a, an interesting journey. And like, what do you wear on stage? And how do you want to present yourself? And like, I, you know, like all the power to the women who share like lots of bikini shots online. Like, that's just not me. Not that I think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's great. I just for my personal comfort like that's not something i'm gonna do all the time it's just i you know it's not for me but I, at I the same time I'm, I'm fine wearing like tight pants that are you know bell bottoms and like boots and whatever like it's just everybody has to find what they're comfortable with and i think women do have a challenge of because the world does come at you and does sure. judge everything and <clears throat> does judge your body and judge how you look physically and like it, you have to feel comfortable with whatever it is that you do choose. And, and it's tricky. You don't want to, it's also a question of what you're selling. You know, you're, you're selling the music, you're selling yourself. It's an image. Nora Jane Struthers, I can't remember like what the question was, but she was talking about how she like, does she, she has like recognized the power of her like attractiveness. Mm-hmm. And she's like, it all depends on how much I want to use it. Like if I want to like walk into a music venue with a full face of makeup because I want to be respected, that's where my power is. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a weird thing to think about where I've had men tell me like as a young person, like you need to use your looks to like get ahead in your career. Mm. And I'm like, no, mm. 
I think I'll just stay over here and not do that. So what's your like what's your opinion of that and and your comfort level with like it is kind of uncomfortable to get in a bathtub and make a music video, but also <laughs> there is like power to it and power to like you that's your power and you're taking control of it. No, honestly, like I think about that a lot and like just your comment about like walking into a room with a full face of makeup like when I'm not wearing any makeup and I'm wearing glasses like I am right now I look 19 you know and I get carded and stuff when I put on makeup and I'm wearing contact lenses (laughs) and like an outfit you know I look a lot older I look more mature I look a lot more like kind of powerful, I think. And I am totally fine with that. Like, I'm not uncomfortable with that. That's, I think, one of the joys of being a woman. (laughs) Like, I mean, honestly, like, that doesn't feel like anything other than just one version of me. You know, there's a lot of different sides to me. And I'm, I'm happy to kind of inhabit any one of them at different times, whatever the situation calls for. But being on stage, does kind of call for having that taking up some space. And a lot of people do that in different ways. But, you know, for me, yeah, like, I'm I'm fine with leaning into that. And in this video, I think I did decide that I wanted to lean into that a little bit more and see where it led. And then you get some like, kind of uncomfortable comments on your videos and stuff of people complimenting you. Delete, delete, delete. Yeah. And it's kind of like, there's, (laughs) There's a way for men to compliment uh, in a way that's like, you know, like uh, that that I can um, appropriate. There, there's an appropriate way to compliment yeah. and sort of a weird way to compliment, and I that or even like a highly offensive way. And there's it's a spectrum, and um, you can smell it a mile away. Right. So you know that you have to take the good with the bad, I guess, with that, but. And, you know, the thing is, as performers, you know, by definition, we're performers. If you're an artist, you're performing. And if you're performing, you're in front of people and people are seeing you. And, you know, what do you want to present? You want to be as authentic as possible. On the other hand, you have an opportunity to explore. You have an opportunity to have fun. You have an opportunity to grow. You have an opportunity, in a way, to almost be somebody else and to explore many sides of your personality mm-hmm. you know, and even invent sides of your personality. Lady Gaga. I mean, right. you know, she wasn't born Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. So at what point do you do that? At what point does it enhance the music? At what point does it take away from the music? Because when it really comes down to it, it's all about the music. How do you present that? Right. And also mm-hmm. it kind of makes me think of the record cover that I chose for this album and just um, the like agony that I went through trying to decide what photograph to use. And there was an earlier version of the cover where I chose this photo where I looked really feminine and kind of um, softer dreamy, and like dreamier. It looked like a Celine Dion, like Mm -hmm. 90s cover or something. It was really different. And I... Celine sings love songs. Yeah, just very soft (laughs) and like pretty and kind of beautiful. Pink, pinkish. It had like a pinkish kind of cast to it. Mm-hmm. And then after much deliberation and actually a few people commenting on it, I realized, you know what? This doesn't really represent these songs. Like I come off really powerful in these songs and on stage I I think I come off with some mm-hmm. just you know, confidence and I want to show that on the cover. So we ch- ended up 
going back to the drawing board with the photographer and I chose a totally different photo that I'm so happy with where I look like I look like me I just look like me Mm -hmm. on my on my best day you know and like that's that's you you do want to put forward an image that represents you know authentically who you are and also what what the songs are and that can change I think that's the thing like I don't know what my next record cover is going to be like um and it's it this new one is nothing like the very first one Mm -hmm. so it's just there's an evolution there we just get the glasses Right. Well, the glass. Yeah. Well, you're getting it right now, Cindy. <laughs> Love the glasses. <laughs> the next song, Something Calls to Me, seems very witchy in mm-hmm. sound and in meaning. It outlines different feelings you've experienced over your life. You say a feeling of being from another time, a sense of deja vu or nostalgia. Can you expand on those expressions and how that impacts you? It feels like kind of dark. Mm. It. I've always had this thing with um, rainy, dark nights, just kind of giving me a feeling of um, tapping into some deep creativity and just like the unknown and uh, a certain like energy life force that's that's like timeless and um you know is is sort of like the essence like the the distilled essence of creativity and like what is that thing like that spark that makes me feel like I need to write a song or what makes an artist feel like it's time to paint or whatever that medium is like I'm what is that like I'm always so curious and why does it come out at certain times versus others anyway that's something that I wanted to try to put into words just that feeling of that energy um and so Freebo and I were writing together on a rainy night in LA and um I had had this idea a dark and stormy night pretty much yeah and we (laughs) we had this great like confluence where I had these lyrics that um spoke to all those feelings and questions and then Freebo had this very cool guitar part that he had been working on and they fit together really really well so that well, was it's a good example started. of in co-writing how it happens I mean as I remember it uh we we're sitting there and I just started playing this very kind of a dark bluesy type of thing with the partial capos and very kind of open and it came up with us so it, it was really interesting and I really I liked it it was compelling Alice heard it, and that's when she kind of went to that place and started thinking about <laughs> these lyrics and the idea and the dark and stormy night. And it was one of the few rainy nights. Okay. In LA. Also, I need to share that we were watching a lot of Outlander, <laughs> Outlander. at the time, so um, we were like deep in some like time travel. I was like definitely thinking about Claire and Jamie while I was writing this song. <laughs> Oh my God! But, but it's a good example. The how, like, you, you, but, well, yeah, but you you, t- you talk about how how uh, music can influence lyrics and, and vice versa. In this case, there was a certain there was an emotional thing that was happening with the music that fed into that, and then that really went from there. And again, it it one thing leads to another, and, and that's so that that song just started completely from scratch, and and that's the place it went to. Mm. I've got a lot of questions about this next song, line by line. I wouldn't call it early, but it's not too late. I played in my hand, 
gotta leave the rest to fate I could lie here crying Or try to understand My chips are gone I can't make no more demands The theme of this song, or one of the themes of this song earlier when we were talking about Somebody's New Lover Now, where line by line is, I think, a rare song where someone takes responsibility for like hush doing like I don't I don't know the details <laughs> just to let people know but like <laughs> someone takes responsibility for a shitty thing that they did like you are not the worst thing that you have ever done but it really means something when you own up to it mm. I guess we talked about this a little bit at the beginning but Alice can you expand a little bit more about how empo- empowering it was for you to take control of your choices. Yeah, this song is really the one that I think doesn't shy away from all of those conflicting feelings, even more so than somebody's new lover, because it, it brings in just every emotion that I was feeling at the time of writing the song. I was at my mom's house in Boston. I was spending the night there, I think after a show, and I was feeling very just alone with a lot. And it was, uh, it's, it's interesting at my mom's house, I often feel hit by a lot of like childhood memories and just um, kind of the loss of, of my father, who we've talked about before, Cindy, um, who passed away when I was 18. And like his spirit is very much in that house. And like a lot of those emotions just kind of come crashing down on me when I'm there. So it was an, it was an opportunity to really just like let, all of that flow onto the page. And I find that that's some of the most honest writing that I can do is when I don't censor myself. And I was feeling, I was feeling guilty. I was feeling really down and just feeling that grief and kind of, I think, you know, honesty and songwriting is that people pick up on that. And when you just share what's in your heart, um, you know, that that raw truth like really comes through and I'm just so proud of of the fact that I was able to do that and not not censor myself. So, yeah, I think this this record is really about me processing this whole journey of like entering a mm. new chapter of my life and I uh, you know, I'm 32 now and um I started writing many of these songs at 27, 28 and it's been kind of an evolution ever since and I think um yeah, I really just I grew up a lot through these songs. How do you make sense of your dad's appearance in Line by Line? He kind of just like pops in there and pops out. Mm. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, that's such a great question. Yeah, nobody's ever asked me that in exactly that way. But he just kind of pops in and out of different songs at different times and it's not always explicit so he like pops he pops in and out of your life and your mind yeah yeah time. like in you've been away so long like that song is also kind of about him and me and other people i think that because i lost him at such a young age and he's such a um important figure and just the shaping of my consciousness and who i am like he was an artist. He's somebody that I feel like I invoke his wisdom and kind of his creativeness in my in my life and my journey as an artist. He he comes to me a lot. He's like my guardian angel kind of. So when I'm thinking about just when I'm struggling or feeling down, like I do come back to 
almost like what would he say or I wish I could talk to him about this problem or you know am I like am I the way I am because I lost him am I the way I am because he raised me the way he did or you know there's just a lot of questions like that that come up when I'm writing Um, and I think my songwriting has been a really powerful tool for me to process losing him. And, um, I'm so glad that I've had that. Like I've, I've said that a lot. Um, Mm. you know, my mother and my brother and other people in my family, they don't have that outlet the way I do. And I feel like art is such a healing outlet. So I use my lyrics to just understand things. Mm. And, and his death is one of those things that, that I've been able to come to terms with through writing. Hmm. Wow, that's really powerful. I also wonder, Freebo, from what Alice has shared about her dad with you, how you take that information in when you're working with her, if it impacts the process at all. Well, it's certainly, I mean, I never knew her dad, you know, Sandy, his name. Uh, but if, if you look at the picture of Alice on the back of her dad and when Alice is oh three four five years old uh, on her previous record on the visions record it's uh, it's very powerful you can see the connection and I've seen other uh, other pictures of the two of them where they're just looking at each other and just complete communication I mean they're 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 one with each other and uh and and what I know of her dad, he was a, a fascinating character, a very creative character, a very compelling character. And there's so much of her dad that is in Alice. And just for for my small role in in her life, I mean, I'm I'm a champion of of that connection, you know, and how it's affected her in the most positive way. And whenever I can, I just do my best to uh, to just uh, remind her that that he's still with her at all moments Mm. that his spirit is totally inside and she's in a way carrying on his work as 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 we often do as i do with my father in a way so okay freebo that's enough i know (laughs) i know see he's a deep he's he's he you did know, it again. This is what God we, damn it, Freebo. I know. This is what we do, Cindy. This mm-hmm. is why we get along so well. It's true. I mean, you really picked up on that. Like, Freebo and I can definitely can go deep together in talking about music, relationships, life. And I think that leads to some really great songwriting because there's no fear of all those emotions. You can just get mm-hmm. right to it. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. again, that's what art's about, you know, it's a communicating some deep emotions. The last song I want to talk about is Traveling Soul, where you talk about the homogenization of the country that you have seen while touring, and you and Freebo tour together and probably talk about that quite a bit. Um, Freebo, how have you experienced this from the perspective of someone who's been on the road for a while and maybe has seen an evolution of the homogenization? Well, uh, so much so that back in the day and now, uh, I've had the experience is partly a function of, of being on tour and being a different place every day. Uh, but I've had the experience of being in the car and driving somewhere 
and seeing the McDonald's and the holiday and, and, and the bank and all these things and going, where the hell am I? And literally <laughs> taking somewhere between 30 seconds and a minute to, to actually figure it out, you kind of have to go back because you really can't tell where you are because, and, and that homogenization from back 30, 40 years ago when it was really beginning uh, is, is so uh, rampant now and pervasive that it's, it's, it's uh, I mean, you, you don't know where you are. And, and w- the way Alice picked up on that, and that's the way Alice writes, is she'll see, she's very visual, but she'll see something and it reminds her of something and that gets her into the process of where she's going. And that in, in Travel and Soul, which I think is a brilliant song, that got her into the whole thing about America and its origins, and it's probably her, her most political song, but it's a, a beautifully written song, and it, it's a very bluesy song. It's a really cool song. Mm. Well, we, uh, we recently saw Bernie Sanders speak in L.A., and uh, it was wonderful, and we got to sure take home was. his book called It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism, <laughs> which <laughs> I, I just and think for me, like... The, the kind of kernel of the beginning of this song was just this sadness and anger that I feel and I know many, many people feel about just the corporate greed feeling like it has a stranglehold on everything, politics in our country, and um, that basically that's what runs the world is is money and, and you know, profit uh, over people. And that's... That's how basic with. folk runs. Yeah, well, profit over people. I know that because I know you, Cindy, and that's just yep. the kind of person that you are. Um, but yeah, it, it's yeah it, that that's really what kind of got me going. And what I love about like I I struggle to write like quote unquote political songs because I don't want to feel like I'm preaching to people. I want it to feel emotional and real and kind of like a, a there's something of me in there where you can connect. Even if you disagree with me or you don't understand, you can still connect to the emotional side of it, which is what I love about like Jackson Brown, I think, is like a, a master of that, of writing political songs that feel really personal. Um, and I wanted to try to do that. So I hope hope that I accomplish that in this song. Mm-hmm. And I hope to do that more. Honestly, that's that's something I'd like mm. to continue to explore. Before I let you go, we're going to do a lightning round, and this Uh-oh. is a very special lightning round. It is called Which One? I'm going to put out a question of which one is, and then an attribute, and then I'm going to count to three, and then at the same time, you say which one is better. Oh, okay. So the answer is Freebo or Alice, Oh. and you can say your own name. Okay. All right, okay. ready? Yes. Here we go. Which one is the party animal? One, two, three. Alice. Alice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Which one is the better debater? One, two, three. Freebo. Freebo. <laughs> <laughs> Which one is the fashion icon? One, two, three. Alice. Alice. I was thinking I could what? answer that ironically, but Cindy Freebo's been wearing the same sneakers for about 10 months every day now, so I don't think he gets the fashion oh. icon award. 
Mm-hmm. All right. We didn't talk about Freebo's stage attire. That's a whole other conversation. We don't have to talk about it. Which one is the better driver? One, two, three. Freebo. Freebo. <laughs> you guys, sounds like torture. <laughs> no, this. no. We're, we're, we're in sync with each other so far. What do you mean? <laughs> Which one is the animal lover? One, two, three. Freebo. <laughs> okay, just a couple more. Which one has jokes? One, two, three. Freebo? I don't know. I don't know. He, neither, his jokes, are, one of his are, jokes are not funny. Mine aren't really jokes. We, 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 we quip. We don't really, we, we quip. It's more about sarcasm. We don't, we don't tell jokes, really. Okay, this is the last one. Which one would make a better cult leader? One, <laughs> two, three. Freebo. Freebo. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> cult leader. Oh, my God. <laughs> it would be a really friendly cult, though. Oh, yeah. There'd be nothing bad about it. I don't know if that's possible a for a cult. cult. Like a <laughs> contradiction, but... Well, Allison Freebo, thank you so much. This has been really fun talking to you guys. Can't wait to see you again in person. Absolutely. Congrats on the record. Thank you, Cindy. Yeah. Say hi to Puddles for us. This episode of Basic Folk was produced by me, Cindy Howes. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes there. You can search for us on the SiriusXM app under Basic Folk wherever you get podcasts, or find us at our website, basicfolk.com. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. And if you want to, you can share this episode with somebody who may enjoy it. That would be awesome. All right, we'll talk to you next time. Bye.